This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hi, Charles. Hello. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about Venom today, and we just saw the, the launch of the Venom 2 trailer. Yeah. But we've known Woody Harrelson is going to be carnage for this film since the ending of the first Venom film. But I wonder mm. if you, Charles, could come up with an even better idea for stunt casting for the character of Carnage in the upcoming movie. Oh, goodness. Are we so are we going for someone who like looks like a Cletus Cassidy or someone who just like would have been as wild as Woody Harrelson? I, I think the wild is more valuable than the look. You can make a look work, but like getting the right crazy is I think even more important. Mm. Hmm. Who's who's got hmm. the crazy for you? Who has the crazy? Who has good crazy energy? Don't say Jared Leto. No, no, no. Honestly, I'm not even thinking about men. I'm thinking about like what actress would be like a really great carnage. Just like screw the oh, cat. Do something yeah. different. You know? No, what I yeah, mean? it's some sort of um. Uh, over the top female oh that'd be great oh my god you know it's 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 so obvious it's so obvious Meryl Streep give me Meryl Streep as Venom I'm sorry give me Meryl <laughs> Streep as Carnage you know what I mean just like full 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 insanity just unhinged bad makeup in 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 prison talking about how she kills people it's like oh you know what oh that, my god now that. I want to see like Meryl Streep like get the whole like gym treatment Meryl Streep gets ripped and jacked and like is a uh, is in like the best shape she's been in her entire life and then she does this role that'd be so awesome meryl streep is cassidy cletus is like a headline that would get me into a theater let's talk about this movie all right let's go the devil wears a symbiote that's the that's the <laughs> that's the title of the article um oh we can't we we can't make the entire episode about this but i would but we're let's let's get started and just talk about venom okay Welcome to The Real Canon, a new pod about the genre pop culture we all live, breathe, and help make happen in real time. I'm Charles Pulliamore, writer and culture critic at io9. And I'm John Reisinger, content creator and producer for Rooster Teeth Productions. Today, we're talking about Venom. With Sony's Venom sequel on the horizon, we wanted to take a look back at Eddie Brock and the symbiote's origins in Marvel's comics and dig into the character's path to big screen solo success. But first, we're rolling into Canon Fodder, our quick breakdown of an interesting news story that's caught our attention this week. Yeah, so everyone got um, a little bit of a hit of nostalgia this week with the release of the first images of the new He-Man Netflix series. He-Man, oh, Master of the Universe Revelation, I think is the title. Yeah, yeah, and it's a continue. Yeah, it's a continuation of the original series from the '80s, meaning that everything that happened in that original is very much a part of the canon and sort of, you know, defines what this story is going to be, despite the fact that it obviously looks drastically different. Um, yeah. It's got though- uh, powerhouse animation is the one working behind it, which mm-hmm. I just uh, found out, but they're the people who did blood of Zeus. They did the Castlevania series. So they, they make beautiful animation. Yeah. It's very gorgeous, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm like, it's gorgeous. And I'm kind of interested to see how some of these aesthetic changes are justified. Um, even though what we, seen has only been still images um it has told us a little bit about how this story is going to work a little bit differently um prince adam just looks a lot different than his he-man persona i think like we at this point we've all gotten to the jokes about how he-man and prince adam are you know the same person you know he literally just puts on a harness and it's like who is that man um but now we've got something more akin to what we saw with the recent she-ra series where the transformation is rather drastic yeah it's it's a whole shazam thing yeah and it's like okay um it looks i mean i'm not really sure how to describe it it looks very 
Hmm. I, I described it on Twitter. It's, it's, it looks sweaty. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a dude show. Like here's a bunch of muscular. It's um, a lot of skin. It's a lot, lot of skin. skin. Scantily clad people. Like we're fighting in the forest. It's very He-Man, you know, it, it feels, you know, you were talking about nostalgia. It is it, as, as different as it looks um, than the original series. What you can see in this um, upcoming continuation, I feel is sort of like a crystallization of everything that came in He-Man's wake. You know, everything that was sort of inspired by He-Man to lean into the, the hyper-masculinity thing. Yeah. Um, this show is like, all right, like, that was always ours, and we're going to take it, you know, to the next level with this story, which could work. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it's interesting to to think about, uh, one, uh, Kevin Smith is the showrunner and writer and producer and whatever, a million titles I'm sure he's sharing on this, <laughs> the 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 the. the, the crew list of this show um kevin smith eh, he can be good kevin smith can also be terrible um yeah. he is he's kind of inconsistent with his work which not to say that that's like something unique to him and so there's a lot of uh creators out there that sometimes bring their a game and sometimes trip over the finish line um but there's interesting to think about like okay what's kevin smith gonna bring and then also like I, you know bringing even powerhouse animation they are able to animate some some very um they kind of have a, you know they have an anime style to their yeah, uh, yeah. animation and to bring that kind of action to He-Man will be new for the show because if you ever watched any of the 1980s cartoons it's it's a it's a show on a budget it's what it was it was a show to sell toys right and i i i'm very curious to see um sort of what the continuation aspect is going to mean for um just for the shape of the story like we're all sort of you know i've joked about how this is the she-ra spinoff right because to be perfectly honest with you while i was aware of the original he-man my first real like experience with the world of eternia and etheria was noel's uh like noel stevenson's uh more recent uh she-ra and the princesses of power right which was very successful and loved very successful very loved and also a radical departure in terms yes. of style and tone but not theme um from the original right um while you know, while fans of the OG She-Ra um, could easily identify, you know, the commonalities between the two, you could very much see um, the active project of reinventing She-Ra for a new generation of fans. Yeah, it's a reboot. Who, right? Right. Like a reboot in the most traditional sense, whereas this does sort of, to my mind, have a lot of the, all right, like if you, unless you're a died in the wool He-Man fan, this might be a little like difficult for you to get into. But at the same time, it's Netflix, right? Like they are very much going to be like, I oh, know we need people to, we, we want yeah. everyone to hop on this bandwagon. They'll make episode one an absolute like entry point for anybody with tons of like backstory and, and little and, and, and ex explanations of mm -hmm. stuff because the, yeah, as much as they're going to need and want the, uh, those 1980s kids um, they, that they need the new generation to jump in and like this and to be like, you know, like, Ooh, who's this new himbo? And, uh, <laughs> and so they're going to have to like make that accessible as much as possible. And I'm sure they will. So, um, Netflix has, has done, has some great success with some of their cartoons. Um, we named several, like, you know, blood of Zeus was, was good. And She-Ra is fantastic. Um, so, uh, I, I have high hopes for something, some more good animation. Um, and, and we'll just have to wait and see. It comes out July 23rd. So not, not, not going to have to wait too long. Yeah, we will definitely be watching this. I'm, I'm curious because I feel like it could go either way, right? Like it could just be like, ah, this is, you know, this is for, you know, the, the diehard nerds who have been waiting for another He-Man story. Or this could be the thing that really finally convinces me to give Prince Adam a try. <laughs> let's talk about something else the diehard nerds are gonna have to wait a little bit longer for and let's talk about venom and yes. venom 2 let's do it 
so earlier this week we um got our first look at venom 2 which is uh, called venom let there be carnage mm-hmm. um it's been a while since we saw tom hardy's venom in the original one. not not forever and ever ago but it seemed but 2020 i think counts as five years um <laughs> And so uh, I think the original Venom coming out in 2017 means it's like been close to or 2018. Uh, 2018. It's been like close to like a, a decade since we saw Venom. Um, and I, I, I th- Charles and I uh, thought this was to be a fun opportunity for us to not only look forward to, you know, the, the future sequel that's coming out later this year. Um, thankfully, close to my birthday. I appreciate that, Sony. And uh but also talk about a little bit about the original that that came out in 2018, and also just Venom as a whole because it's a it's a beefy character both physically and canonically. Um, I mean, <laughs> do you that like is, that? That is one way of putting it. That is one way of putting it. Um, the thing that I was <laughs> the thing that sort of like really fascinated me about Venom as a character. I'm not the biggest Spider-Man fan, right? Even though Spider-Man yeah. is like what a, ostensibly Marvel's most popular character worldwide yeah um the appeal partially because he is so popular me being a contrarian oh no 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 but so venom a character i was always aware of um but really sort of i've been fascinated by this project that sony has had to turn venom into a superstar in its own right right, in his own right right um independent of spider-man because of the ip complications uh, between marvel disney and um sony sony still like owns the rights to spider-man um despite the fact that tom holland exists within the mcu um and as much as we all have sort of really had a fun time watching uh spider-man you know pal around with the avengers in things uh, not just like um, into the Spider-Verse, but in Venom in particular, you do see that Sony is quite serious about the fact that it has all of this IP. And it's like, all right, listen, we get it. You guys are out here making the huge superhero movies that everybody goes to see. But this thing that we have here is valuable. And there is the potential to really sort of tap into something really wild and successful with it. And yeah, I, it's, 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 a weird, it's a weird story to like keep uh, remembering about like, because again, it's, it's been a while since Spider-Man Three. It's it's been a, it's been a while since that one. Uh, that was what two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and since Spider-Man Three, which was like Sony's last attempt at 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 really making successful content with that character um, before MCU. I'm talking. Um, and and they kind of like again to talk about tripping over the finish line. Spider-Man Three is quite the trip. And then they they kind of like you know took a break with that and then marvel starts is is at that same time like when when would iron man have landed around there um but marvel's making good use of marvel uh ips and you know then they make that 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 deal with sony to get you know tom holland and their stuff um and then they 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 want to you know continue that success like they're they're like you know uh, not not riding on the coattails of marvel of like Mm. disney but you know, it was a collaborative project. Everything that Tom Holland's been with MCU, um, to to some sort of degree, and I think Sony wa- wanted to use that, you know, steam and roll into using Venom, which is a, he uh, in the comics an extremely popular character. He he's had multiple, uh, uh, you know, uh, titled comic series um, that are his own solo series and everything like that. He's been featured in almost every other instance of spider-man whether it be the old animated series or uh you know the video games like maximum carnage is one of the great spider-man uh video games from like super nintendo something like that um and so to like want to 
attempt the same thing with a feature film, but also like make it sort of connected to, you know, the other Spider-Man. Um, I get why they wanted to do that. I mean, clearly when they came out with the movie, they cut that off completely. Like the, the movie makes no direct connection to the MCU or Tom Holland Spider-Man. So before we get into all of that, right? Cause like that is all important to understanding sort of like what's going on with Venom as a character who sort of is on the rise in terms of popularity. I feel like it's really important to get into the, like the bare basics about where this character comes from and sort of how it's wild that while he is a part of Spider-Man's rogues gallery, what is happening here, I feel like with with what we're seeing with Venom is kind of sort of like what we saw with Harley Quinn in her decoupling from the Joker and being turned into an icon in her own right. Um, I feel like a lot of people would be much quicker to be like, oh no, but like that that's what happened with the Joker. No, the Joker still very firmly exists within, you know, Batman's orbit more often than not, right? Um, Oscar-winning movies notwithstanding. When you sort of look at the full breadth of Harley Quinn media that's out there, you see how over the years DC made a really sort of concerted effort to reintroduce people to Harley Quinn at different ages and from different perspectives, all of which has sort of led to her becoming this rather prominent part of their portfolio in terms of Mm -hmm. like iconic characters that people respond to. Um, Sony and also Marvel, right, Um, both from a cinematic standpoint and from a comic book perspective, have been doing something quite similar with um, Venom for quite some time. And I think it's wild that um, the project seems to be working. Marvel is sort of notorious for not being great about being able to get synergy going between the studio and between um, the publishing house, um, just mm. in terms of getting um, in terms of getting the stories sort of um, in sync with one another in order for like at, in a way that makes sort of audience be like, oh yeah, like I see what you're doing here. But with Sony's most recent, actually, I'm, I'm already getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about comics first, right? Like, because the thing about the thing about Venom is, as large a presence as he is within the Spider-Man brand now, um, when he was first created, right back in the '80s, Joe, um, I just learned he's almost exactly as old as I am. He came out in November 1984. I was born September 1984. I'm like as old as Venom. Okay, all right. So like we've got <laughs> Venom, we've got Venom actually making his first technical appearance in Web of Spider-Man number eight. Um, as just like an unnamed, like as, a, as, a, as an unnamed character. And what you really start to see, oh goodness, it's not until Spider-Man 300 that Venom and Eddie Brock are sort of introduced as this whole cloth villain who exists in contrast to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Um, and at the time, uh, the character was created simply because they needed a villain, right? Spider-Man, like for that issue, a new villain needed to be introduced. Um, and the creators working on the series, um, I'm going to get this, I'm trying not to get this last name wrong. David Nicolini and Todd McFarlane were working on the series and Marvel had a couple of ideas kicking around, um, from various creators, um, within the Spider-Man space as to what might, um, happen in terms of costumes for certain characters. There were ideas for a new Spider-Man costume, a new Spider-Woman costume, um, Certain there's a bit of contention as to who actually deserves the uh, credit for putting all of the ideas together that became Eddie Brock and Venom. Mm. Um, but what you see out of issue 300, right, is this synthesis into this singular, well, not singular, but like let's just call them singular um, being that is one of Spider-Man's ultimate foes. Um, I was just going to say two things. One, I'm correcting myself. He separated from Spider-Man. And and when he was like connected with him in nineteen mm-hmm. November nineteen eighty four, but yeah, they made the his original 
he was originally introduced in like May 1984. So anybody checking the numbers, I'm sorry, <laughs> I got it wrong. Um, and then also, uh, you t- t- reminding me that Todd McFarlane was part of the creation of Venom. Is he just obsessed with people that have like tendrily things like him and Spawn? Like, you know, it's like big old, big old tendrily uh, cape and, and Venom is all tendrily. Like, is he, that just a, is that a fetish? Is that Listen, like to be McFarlane? perfectly honest with you, I can't speak to Todd McFarlane's creative process. You would have to ask him <laughs> about that. That's, that's entirely, that's entirely his thing. Next time I see him, I'll ask. Thank you. Um, but for, you know, for, um, for, goodness, where were we? We're talking about Venom here. Um, yeah. I think that the really important thing to understand about Venom um, is how much of the anti-Peter Parker he was um, when he was initially created, right? Um, though we didn't really get a lot of this backstory until a couple of years after his full appearance, um, sort of, you know, in um, subsequent comics, Venom and Eddie Brock sort of represented everything that Peter Parker wasn't. Yeah. Peter Parker is this affable character who we as fans all love. Um, and within the comics, um, he also like is a person who, you know, lives in a community that, you know, loves and appreciates him to a certain extent, right? Even though he is a nerd and he's picked on to, you know, in his younger years, clearly Peter has like an emotional support system that is a part of what makes him, you know, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, right? Um, when Eddie Brock is introduced, he's, you know, the antithesis to that comes from an abusive home, um, you know, an emotionally distant father. Um, You know, he tries to escape into his professional work as a journalist um, Mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, find purpose in life. And it all just sort of does not work for him. And it's, I think it's, you know, looking back on Venom, like looking back on the early days of Venom, it's like, oh, like that's, it's fascinating to consider Venom as sort of like, hmm. Like commentary on Spider-Man fandom, right? It's like Spider-Man popularity is, you know, all-encompassing. And Venom was just like, oh, what if someone wasn't just a villain out there trying to get Spider-Man, right? But someone who legitimately had a deep-seated hatred of Spider-Man that was um, their sort of driving force. Um, jump in here. I need some help here. What are your, <laughs> what are, what's your, what's your, what's your first, like, what was your first experience with, like, Venom in the comics? Yeah, I mean, you, you, I think you're nailing it where, where Venom was kind of introduced as this uh, anti-Peter Parker hmm. um, and, and, and it worked really well to be even like just translated into, like Eddie Brock was the anti-Peter Parker and so Venom was the anti-Spider-Man, but, but they were all, they were both like semi-mirrors of each other. Hmm. And so, you know, uh, Eddie even being big and muscly and then Venom then also like building upon that to make him even bigger was a good contrast to Spider-Man's, you know, smaller little lithe form. Mm. Um, and yeah, they, 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 they kind of like have really developed not only Eddie's character, but the Venom symbiote in itself, even more and more as time has gone by, whether it be with each new host that the symbiote has, has merged with because the symbiote has been like, um, it's been around the block. Um, it's been on, you know, Matt Gargan, uh, Scorpion. Mm-hmm. It's been on uh, uh, Flash Thompson um, uh, as that was when he was a military soldier, right? Yes. Yeah. And um, it's it's gone through different phases, almost like the Hulk where he's like sometimes completely animalistic and just wants to eat everything like when he was part of Thunderbolts. Yeah. Um, or he's been much more... Uh, human-like and, and emotional um i i you you when we were talking about doing this show you brought up uh the 2017 run that was uh written by matt costa oh um, yeah and uh i had not read that so i read like the first like volume of it last night and it was interesting to to read um that part of venom that came out right before the donny cates era which is the modern era right now of venom 
and to see the symbiote merging with Lee something. Um, but to merge with a bad guy that he didn't want to merge with, mm-hmm. who was actually abusive to him. And Venom is actually like, he's talking about having grown and developed um, beyond just this feeding frenzy, you know, murderous machine. And he doesn't want to hurt people anymore. He wants to help people. And um, I, I, I think they did all of that pretty well. Uh, adapting that into the the feature film with Tom Hardy, where the the you know the the symbiote kind of learns a little bit from Tom. Even in the movie, he kind of learns uh, le- learns to like actually like Eddie and actually want to stay here on Earth and that kind of thing. And Eddie keeps him in check. You know, there's a point in even the the new trailer for the new movie where he's having an argument with the 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 store shop lady, and they're upset at it and uh and the the symbiote's like i'm gonna eat you and eddie has to like check him and be like no you're not gonna eat her and it's a comedic moment um but they kind of have brought that all to this cinematic universe of venom to make him a, a, a complex and and kind of fun character that that um first watching for myself of the film i didn't fully read into but upon subsequent rewatches i bought into this character quite a bit I don't know that. <laughs> so the thing is, like, I, I I can genuinely, honestly say that I like, like I really love Sony's um, Venom movie. As bad mm-hmm. as a movie as it is, it is very fun. And I, I want to push back. I don't know that Venom is complex as much as he is just busy, right? There's just a lot, <laughs> right? Like, there's a lot going on. And a lot of it doesn't always feel interconnected and like it's sort of the constituent parts of a personality, but rather sort of... Um, not randomly, but an assortment of elements of Venom's character from multiple of his characterizations in the comics, right? You do have silly, goofy Venom. You do have I eat people Venom. You have I am romantically and emotionally intimate with Eddie Brock. Not romantically necessarily, but sort of like we have this sort of deep connection that isn't just yeah. like you wear me like a coat. It's like, oh no, we are a person together. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I think when you smash all of those various, those disparate elements of different Venoms into one thing and sort of put it up on a screen and throw a couple million dollars, a few hundred million dollars um, at it to make it look really pretty. What you end up getting is thinking specifically um, about Ruben Fletcher. A little bit of a mess. (laughs) A little bit of a, a little bit, a little bit of a mess, but um, Something that felt very distinct from the current wave of superhero movies, um, particularly because Sony's most recent Venom um, sort of led with the idea like, hey, like, let's do this without Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Um, when you unmoor, um, unmooring Venom, which is something that the studio and um, the publishers have been doing for quite a while. Yeah. <clears throat> It's sort of a big and sort of da- not dangerous, but it's sort of like it's a risky thing, right? It's because gutsy. yeah, it's right? gutsy. When you look at um, Venom's most iconic stories, when you sort of are getting at the heart of uh, what was initially driving the symbiote and Eddie Brock to be mad, right? It was um, Peter Parker rejecting the symbiote, right? And yeah. Eddie Brock having his own inborn hatred of Peter Parker, and that yeah. sort of being, you know, that was the common thing that you know helped the two of them bond together and to become something you know larger than you know the two of them. Um, no Peter Parker, right? And so it's like, okay, okay, he can, maybe he does still get, you know, the, the suit, but then what is the motivation aside from raw id, um, and sort of desire and the film, I don't think it ultimately really came up with an answer beyond like, Hey, 
we're both losers, so why don't we hang out? And that as simple, <laughs> right? But as simple as an idea as that is, in a world in a world where all of the movies are about, you know, saving the world and I am having an like I'm I'm in the depths of my existential depression. Um, this is pre-WandaVision, obviously. But Venom was just like, <laughs> hey, what if we like what if you and a buddy just went on a bender and kind of fuck some shit up? But it's a simple concept that people were able to get. But right. And that's and that's sort of the kind of thing that I feel like a lot of people were surprised by. Um, to sort of see a superhero film that, you know, um, was clearly um, created with all of um, with all of uh, the resources available to make it look pretty, but it well, let's talk about the resources <laughs> available to make it look pretty. Sure, sure, because sure. Um, like you know, I'm I I am legitimately excited about the sequel. I I go into it with some trepidation because of rewatching the original Venom film from 2018. Um, it you watch it and you can tell that while it cost a lot of money, it still needed some more in order to fix some of its like messiness and shortcomings and mistakes. Um, there, there, it, you can see the seams during certain parts of the movie where you saw where the money ended. Um, and that's something that we've gotten used to maybe not seeing with mm. MCU films and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, even with... Zack Snyder films, you don't see where the money really ends very much. You might see where some of the creative, um, smart choices end. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, there the, and that kind of. The, but seeing like the behind the scenes a little bit while you're watching the movie can take you out of it. Like there are there, there's a moment there's a moment I've noticed in rewatching it the other night um, where uh, what's the name of the bad symbiote at the very end with uh, Riz Ahmed? Um, it's not right. Is it Riot? It might be Riot. We, we should look that up and figure yeah, out what it is. Yeah, it's Riot. Is it Riot? Okay, yeah. so Riot uh, is standing, it's, it's, they're, they're in the control room of the launch of the, of the rocket, and they realize that there is some loose threads by having all of these scientists here, and so he makes that snap decision to kill them all. Mm. He does that big sweeping shot of like turning his, his arms into giant axes and sweeping across. You watch that shot, and it goes to this big old wide shot, and all the tables and computers in that room are like on like, like, church potluck tables and all the computers look like everybody showed up for a land party as opposed to a very established and uh and set up like um control space from some sort of nasa film mm. so you can see we're like we needed this wide shot and we just didn't have the money to make a very very elaborate set piece so we're doing this and then we're gonna sweep some giant bars across it that will mask over with visual effects to make it look like we're destroying all these computers. But so, I mean, I it, think that you can look at Venom's success, though, and, you know, very seriously ask yourself, who cares, right? That's what I'm saying, is that there's a difference. No, there's a difference between, like, uh, a movie with mistakes that fails and a movie with mistakes that its its good parts can overcome and counterbalance it. Mm. Um, and I think Venom was something that my first time watching i got a little distracted by some of the mistakes and messiness um it there are like a lot of convenience in the story in order to help the story progress um and when there's too much convenience in how things work out i sometimes kind of get a little i don't know again i think the word is like distracted um no because like when there's too much can like when it's when everything sort of lines up too conveniently in a movie there is when there's no tension rather that there's nothing to really hold your attention there's nothing sort of to compel you to think well what might happen because it's like well whatever is going to happen it's inevitably going to work out in the most ridiculously simple way possible but yeah 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 yeah. 
and but but I, I rewatched it and and uh, I think there's a there's like a special category of movies that uh, somehow get better after you rewatch it the second time. <laughs> um there should be a name for that because there's there are several movies like that like i, I talked to you about how like i rewatched the the godzilla movie yeah, yeah. um and i loved it the next time i, I rewatched it and i think same thing with uh, i didn't love it but rewatching kong skull island the second time i watched kong skull island mm-hmm. liked it better um yeah they're, they're leftover movies not the yeah. leftovers the movie but, you know, <laughs> they're leftover, they're leftover yeah movies, cold yeah. pizza is good yeah. um and venom was that and and i I got to, you know, watch the the movie with less like anticipation and more just like chilling out and, and enjoying it. And the movie is fun. Uh, the the story is 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 a uh, is simple, but but works. And it's it, it 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 you know has a beginning, middle, and end that makes sense. It's paced well and pretty good performances throughout the whole thing. There's some campy moments and some overperforming every once in a while. Um, but again, I th- I think you nailed it. Where it's like. The good outweighs enough of the bad where I enjoy the movie and I'm looking forward to the sequel. See, the thing is, I don't know that the performances are good, right? Like, here's the thing. I can, like, <laughs> I, I, my, 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 my difficulty with Venom is, like, I did enjoy it and I can identify things that I do like about it, right? Like, Tom Hardy being goofy, I find that to be, like, a pleasurable thing to look at, right? And it's like, yeah. oh, I'm having fun in this. But at the same time, I can easily recognize oh that accent is terrible you've never lived yeah. in new york in your life right what are you doing in san francisco the story it's not simple it's quite busy eddie brock has left new york to go back to san francisco where he's originally from because he yeah. like got ousted from his job and now he's still trying to do gonzo journalism like also there's aliens coming from it, there's a lot going on in this story it's busy to the point that it really should not come together as easily as it does which is sort right. of what makes that i feel like is where um your picking up of the convenience that I think that's where that comes from because the story starts in so many different places far from each other. And then it all comes together in San Francisco and it's like, okay, sure. Right. There's, there's one of, there's one of the dumbest moments in the movie. And I, I love it now, now that I like, I'm, I'm, I'm down for like the campiness of this movie to a degree mm. um, is the, 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 that, the, the riot symbiote, you know, it lands separate from and goes rogue from all the other symbiotes that that then end up in uh, the Life Project's lab. Yeah. Um. And so Riot bonds to that that lady um, out there. I don't know what country they're in. I can't remember. Somewhere in Asia, I think. And uh, and then it's like it's it's slowly making its way to like a village, and then it, it bonds to like the old grandma, and that's the story. But then all at the same time, like Eddie's going through his whole thing where he's getting fired and ruining his engagement, everything like that. And then they do this time jump of about like, it's like three months or six months. And at the same time, they catch up on Eddie. And then we catch up also on Riot, who then is still in the same old lady and just shows up finally in the airport of San Francisco, <laughs> like months later. It's and like, it's like, what was he doing the entire months there? And it's, 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 it's the kind of thing where I, you, you, you definitely looking back at it, it's like, oh, this could have used a revision and given us something. It could have given us a more compelling backstory about the Clintar homeworld. But again... <laughs> Who cares, right? Like, I feel, I feel like I, something, I think that part of what charmed, it's weird to say this now. I initially thought to myself, like, oh, Sony's really going to try to make a Venom movie without Spider-Man. Okay, sure. Good luck. Um, yeah. And sort of went balls to the wall with it, right? Spent over $200 million to get it off the ground. Um, and sort of just went for it in a way that did make me sort of appreciate the differences to the store or rather some of the creative decisions that were made right it's like well let's try i think that the reason that riot was given a you know a subplot of its own was to sort of 
suggest um, a motivation for it, right? To sort of give you an idea of what kind of, not like not like character motivation, but literally what separates the, the Riot symbiote who is a self-identified loser, or rather uh, the Venom symbiote, who is a self-identified loser from the Riot symbiote, right? Which is literally like, I'm going to hoof it across the planet to, you know, mess some things up. Um, I don't think that that was necessarily conveyed all that well, but it's something that can come up in, you know, conversations like this because not only do, not only, you know, we ended up enjoying the movie and we can go look back at it um, sort of um, favorably, but in the next film, I feel like, I feel like all of the solid ideas that could have been in Venom, the prestige first movie, had that been the, like, had that been the route that uh, Sony had gone in, are more going to be present in the sequel now that the franchise is a proven success at the box office and this idea of a Spider-Man free Venom thing has been proven to like work, you know? This episode of The Real Canon is brought to you by the Rooster Teeth Store. Let's talk about the store for a minute. Have you guys checked it out lately? The store is coming out with a constant stream of amazing products and merch designed by a super talented team of artists. I am constantly amazed at the quality of work that is being uploaded to this store. Um, this month in May, uh, they released a giant pride collection that is full of tons of uh, products and, and merch uh, plastered with pride art and flags and color, and I adore it. Um, they have uh, all of the brands of the Rooster Teeth store participating in this collection. So um, depending on what brand you like and maybe even what part of the queer community you you want to uh, show off even more, there's an opportunity for everybody to get a piece of merch. Um, and on top of that, uh, a portion of profits will be going to uh, support Out Youth, which is great. So go today, head on over to store.roosterteeth.com to start shopping right now. You won't regret it. You can see a lot of that in the trailer where the trailer itself is like embracing the things that the fan base really connected with, with the original film, um, with some of the comedic elements of their relationship. Um, and, you know, in that even that opening sequence in the trailer of him, like a, a Venom making Eddie breakfast and that kind of thing um there's there's that in the original film and i think people like that even even the the reveal of venom being a loser was a comedic beat oh totally yeah I, the I, original I one <laughs> and people like that yeah and i i, I think i mean goodness, it's it's interesting because i think that part of the reason that i stayed away from venom for so long um venom is one of those like 90s characters right so you're talking big hulking muscles dripping fangs you know always yep. looming more yep. you know more monster um, than human and you know you see that in characters uh like spawn it was very much a part of the art style of the time the venom that we're seeing now is a lot more like mike costa um, and donny case's venom yes. um, which is to say like all right i am they are eddie and venom after a lifetime of sort of like difficulties with one another, that's not present in the film, but that's sort of the, like that's the place that the comics have left them in. That yeah. sort of emotional complexity is the result of the time that they have spent apart from one another, right? Sort of the things that they've gone through. Eddie had cancer. Eddie had a child. Um, Venom, re, or rather the symbiote, re-experienced its home world and got connected yeah. to its ancestral memory. And they've come back yeah. together and they're like, yo, we've been through some shit. And so, yeah. you know, they are not just the, they're not just the, 
the He-Man, we hate Peter Parker's fan club, you know, that kind of thing. They are two people who have history. And what the film is doing is it's sort of seeding their relationship with that from the very jump, right? It's like we're giving them both somewhat tragic backstories for their respective lives. And in that, giving them the space to be vulnerable with one another, right? Like they're not always trying to one up each other they are taking mm -hmm. care of each other you know venom's like i'm trying to cook for you and eddie's like i'm trying to make sure that you can stay by encouraging you not to eat people through me like it's a very it's very twisted logic but it is yeah. the two of them ultimately working to stay together because you know the, the, there are you know one of the most pivotal moments in the first movie is like oh shit they've been separated right and it's presented as the thing that it's it's potentially going to kill them both so now they're working from this place of it feels like at the very least from this first trailer that we've seen and you know there's very little actual venom in it it's mostly about um, carnage but what, what, what little that we do see it doesn't feel like the two of them are just sticking together because they need each other it now feels like it's coming from a place of genuine companionship yeah, there, there's there's a actual relationship there, and I I think you you nailed it when you were talking about how like original Venom really contrasts to current Venom uh, comics wise because I think the word I was even thinking in my head as you were describing is like he's a very broy character when he was first introduced. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, big old juiced up uh you know crazy muscle head with uh, uh that was meant to excite those uh those kind of boys who like those kinds of uh scary big characters well but like yeah um, like venom was a hyper masculine character right and very much sort of um peter parker it's, it's like not not all roads lead back to peter parker but spider-man peter parker is the nerd hero and it's like well mm -hmm. what then is the nerd hero's ultimate villain like give me like the souped up jock right and it's interesting yeah. that venom drops at a time where you know, the concept of nerddom is at its height. It's an idea that we've sort of since not moved away from entirely, but we've sort of come to regard nerd, you know, nerd identity as something that's way more nuanced than, oh, the kids who get picked on for liking comic books, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know that, um, I don't know that hyper, you know, hyper mask, ultra aggro venom um, would necessarily work in a modern Spider-Man story. Um, particularly when it's like, oh, like, do you just want to see a monster potentially beat up Tom Holland? I don't know. And it's, it's, it's funny to say that now because the backlash to Spider-Man 3 and Topher Grace's uh, performance as Eddie Brock, a lot of it had to do with like, oh, that's not Venom, right? Like, that's not, that, that's not the Venom that I know. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I, I, I did go back and oh, no. rewatch. I did. I did. Because I truly, I could, not <laughs> I could not recall a lot of it other than that people, I, I know the dance, right? He does the dance and, um, and his hair gets really greasy and he's really, he's an, ass, he's an asshole to Mary Jane. And, um, but the other thing that jumped out my mind is like, oh, everybody hates Stouffer Grace's um, Eddie Brock. Why? Um, yeah. And going back, it's, you know, the characterization, it's, it's, it's thin. Um, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Really, it's That's really, a good word. It's really thin and it's sort of like, haha, I'm here and I'm dating Gwen Stacy. Haha. It's flat. You know, and then he's bad. But I think more so than that, um, because as much as people hated Eddie Brock, I do think that at that time, what a lot of people who were going to see, not just comic book movies, but Spider-Man movies in particular, they were sort of looking for um, a classic Venom, right? Like comic book movies, I feel, were much more literal in a sense. Yeah. Even in Spider-Man 3, they they had this like uh, growing trend with the the sequels where they 
didn't want the characters to be in the masks all the time so that there could be more they they you know i, th- I think um Raimi thought there was more chance for emoting and performance um whether it was his call or the actors were asking for this you know they always like were out of their masks and in spider-man 3 um correct me if i'm wrong i remember like eddie's not fully symbioted with like uh the venom face a ton in it in fact he he kind of has that like semi-covered face with the fangs and stuff a lot there it's that is that is the bulk of his um depiction there's one shot in particular and i was looking for it it's where he first introduces himself as venom and he's crawling on the wall and he has the interesting thing is he has a venom face right he is fully venomed up but it does look like um, how to put um, a live action translation of the cartoon, right? Which was mm. slightly stylized and was not really meant to be translated for the screen, right? So the proportions a little off, and it does look more like a helmet than a face, which sort yeah. of works against how you know the Venom suit is not a suit; it is a body. Um, and so, it just, and then when, once the suit retracts and you see Topher Grace's face, you're like, oh, this is all very. Ah. Um, and so I, 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 I can understand why people didn't respond to it um, and why, why people were hesitant at first to sort of think, you know, well, why would Sony want to come back to this space, particularly if, particularly because the last time that, you know, Sony tried to put out um, a movie involving Venom, it was a Spider-Man film. I'm even forgetting, I, I called out that like Spider-Man 3 was like Sony's last uh, hurrah with Spider-Man. It's like, I forgot about Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Like, like they have i forgot about it i actually thought like we jumped from spider-man 3 with like eddie brock and everything into tom holland i forgot we had the whole andrew garfield which that doesn't say i didn't like that era like there's parts of it i liked um and and even i made spider-man 2 they were trying to launch the sinister six from that um i don't remember if the symbiote made an appearance no Mm-mm. Not in the background, not with all those like background reveals of like the, uh, you know. The, honestly, I, I don't quote me on the background reveals. I did not pay super close attention to them, but like su- like suffice it to say that whatever attempts, if any, that you know that particular franchise made, they weren't lasting enough to sort of make them a no. big deal. Um, and that's what made you know honestly, that's what made part. That was part of what made Sony's decision to do the more recent um, Sony, or rather the more recent Venom films make a certain amount of sense because it's like ah ha ha all right have you forgotten about the last one yet and the answer was no but enough time had passed and you know the overall tone of uh, superhero movies had changed to a point where people some people were willing to consider what if they get it right this time yeah they even like they even had to do a little bit of course correction after releasing the first venom trailer because there was like mixed responses to the original trailer people were like kind of confused as to what this was. They liked at the very end of the trailer when he went full Venom and had like the full suit and the the, the big old fangy mouth was talking, everything like that. Um, but they had to fix their marketing a little bit to get people excited about it because it just felt weird, a little off. Do you remember that? I do. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, a lot of it had to do with the fact that when you're dealing with a character um, who's traditionally a villain um, and they have been divorced from their hero, you do instinctively sort of try to figure out what it is they're doing on the screen by themselves. Um, the things that Venom is known for doing, um, eating and sort of looking menacing, I don't think that Sony necessarily chose a tone. Um, they weren't really sure what tone to choose uh, for fear of scaring audiences off, right? Even though Venom mm. is quite... 
Um, a, it's not a gory film. It does have a lot of very uh, strong nods to the the gore that's happening around it. I believe it's a rated R film, or is it a PG? Is it? Film? No, it was. Uh, it. It was PG-13 because they, they were going to make it. I think they were going to make it R at one point and they opted for PG-13, which is why there's a lot of cutaway moments of like when he's doing really gory things. Like you don't actually ever see him eat a head. Um, you see him go near You a just head. see him go. And I feel like you might even hear the crunching, but it's that yep. kind of like, all right, well, technically, since you didn't see it, see it, it didn't really happen. Um, but I think that it's that kind of like skirting around it where it's like, yo, he just, he just eating, eating, eating people. And it's not like, oh, maybe Spider-Man drops somebody off the side of a building. It's like, no, no, no. Eddie Brock and Venom, you know, are eating people's entrails. And I, I think that Sony was sort of unsure as to how to market that to Two audiences who are, you know, unsure of what whether or not this was for children. And I'm not I, even now I'm not really sure who the target audience is, aside from like, you know, teenagers and up. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think that's it is that it was meant for teenagers and like young college people, because I, I, I remember even like talking to people for from, you know, in, in like my social community or on like social media um, or even like members of, of the Roosteeth community who can skew a little bit younger like that. They were the ones who sounded like they really connected and kind of turned the film into a little bit of a cult classic because it, mm. it it did it received it received really negative reviews but made money mm. um, and then but and then there was a very vocal audience that of like that other than you know the uh, the critics audience but like the actual audience audience that that really liked it no and I think, I think the that like that like, breathed life into it you bringing up money like that is ultimately right like why we've ended up in this space right like it's oh, why it made bank right it's you know it ended up, it ends up making over 800 million dollars and that immediately leads to all right like let's make a sequel to it but then that also starts to get people initially, like after Venom, you know, started making numbers, people like, oh, well, you know, what will Marvel do in response to this? And for the longest time, Marvel and Sony were playing, oh, well, the ball's in your court. No, the ball's in your court. Um, yeah, and there still yeah. hasn't necessarily really been any movement on the potential of a Venom and Spider-Man crossover yeah. involving Tom Holland and Tom Hardy. Goodness, the Battle of the Toms. But there have been, you know, these whispers of another kind of crossover um, within Spider-Man No Way Home, right? Um, all yeah. of these characters, or rather all of these actors who initially played characters um, in Raimi Spider-Man films are allegedly making um, some sort of cameo appearances in the People new film. They love a good crossover. They love a good they crossover. Love a good crossover. Um, and, you know, that would imply, you know, the possibility for a big Spider-Man team up, right? You know, something a little more along the lines of Into the Spider-Verse. But were that to be um, the case, obviously the question afterwards would be, all right, well, what about Eddie and Peter? Are they going to fight? And, yeah. you know, as as... I feel like a couple of years ago that that question sort of could have easily just been dismissed. Um, but just based off of not just the box office, right, but just the way that the public sort of was confused at first and very like markedly confused, but then gradually receptive and sort of celebratory of the weird bad movie. And was like, huh, good for you for doing this. I don't know what this is, but I'm happy that you made it. I feel like that's the kind of, that is the kind of public response that gets studios to start considering, all right, like, do we want this kid to fight this grown man? Uh, maybe yeah, so. I, I think a, a lot of it's going to be, going to be based on how let there be carnage, carnage, uh, let there be carnage, <laughs> let there be carnage. Um, uh, how, how that pans out. 
as far as like audience uh you know uh, 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 appreciation or even just you know flat dollars um because if you know it it, it stood on its own for for one feature film um and you know uh, uh it's gonna we're gonna have to see if like a sequel is gonna work does eddie having another you know a villain that he has to go against work for eddie being this kind of anti-hero so like i um, think that like i i, I in, in in watching the trailer again and thinking about like carnage is a character right oh, he's a sociopath serial killer who also gets um a symbiote how terrible how horrifying that's like the basic concept behind it but i think that compared to you know billion you know the tech billionaire bonded with uh, a symbiote from the first film played by riz Ahmed, i feel like that makes for i feel like uh, carnage can make for a much more compelling on the ground kind of uh, villain for Eddie and Brock, or rather Eddie and Venom to pursue. Um, in this first trailer, we know that Eddie Brock has a history with uh, Cletus Cassidy. Yeah. Um, you know, he's interviewed him. And so potentially, you know, as is, you know, sometimes the case with serial killers, um, particularly the performative ones who want to have a relationship with the public, you know, the media does come to be a part of it somehow. And that, you know, I th- there are so many ways that, the elements of Eddie's character, his being a journalist, you know, his sort of having this dogged sense of justice. This new premise, I feel like, opens up way more opportunities to really dig into that and show yeah. you what that like what Eddie and Venom can look like in action. Because so much of this first movie was just, you know, them figuring it out and like wandering into shit. And now it's like, all right, well, you've done the hero thing. There's a killer on the loose. Go find him. And and, and to get into a little bit of the uh, the the canon of Carnage. Mm. I, the the trailer doesn't really reveal uh, much of the, if any, of the symbiote's origin or how it, you know, comes in contact with Cletus. In the, in the trailer, all we see is that the symbiote stops him from getting the lethal injection, and then that's where it, it shows up and frees Cletus. I mean, in, in the comics, Carnage is the son of Venom, and and, and it's uh, the Venom. The Venom symbiote actually spawns a lot of little babies in the it, comic. It does, and that's actually I in in prepping for this, I was going back and reading some of Costa's, um, some of uh, his Venom books, and it's like, yeah, there there is uh, there is one issue in particular where Eddie and Venom are having another baby. Like that's the way it's played for in the comics. Uh, Eddie wakes up mm. in the middle of the night and has like night sickness and vomits after having a vivid dream, and Venom's like, "It's fine, Eddie." They go to the doctor. Venom is pregnant, right? And it, they, they specifically mention how when Carnage was spawned, they didn't even feel it, right? And that's sort of the, that is the terrifying, that's sort of like the terrifying secretness of um, mm-hmm. Carnage's origins, right? Like they, they're not even aware that there's another thing out there. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, part of me is almost kind of hoping that we get some sort of like morning sickness, Eddie Brock. <laughs> you know, vomiting up, um, who knows, a dog or something that he's eaten, and just a little tiny bit of uh, symbiote bile gets into the sewage system and gets up into the prison. Yeah, and 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 I think with the you know the the I think you you talked about where how serial killers get that relationship with the reporter and that would be a, a fun connection for Cletus and Eddie to have in the film. I think the father son connection of the symbiotes also kind of adds to that. Totally. Uh, yeah. You know, wanting that attention, wanting that connection, um, and and like you know, Carnage becoming obsessed to some sort of degree um, with Eddie and Venom. Um, that that could be interesting as a motivation as to why what Carnage does in the film. And as much right, and I feel like as much as Venom was sort of um, almost like a, 
a test, right? Like, can this can this thing stand up on its own? And now that we've seen that it can, Let There Be Carnage can really sort of be the crystallization of what this new cinematic canon for Eddie Brock means for him as a character, right? Like, what are the things that really define Venom, uh, the anti-hero, besides uh, we're losers together? It's like, right, we took down a serial killer. Um, we took down the serial killer who was also our child, off, you know, offspring maybe, um, and sort of established ourselves as the new protector of San Francisco. I'm curious mm-hmm. as to how much of this movie is set in San Francisco, right? Because that's also, mm. that would end up playing a rather significant factor um, in the larger trajectory of this franchise there have been nods <laughs> to uh the daily globe in the most recent yeah. trailer right and so it's like oh we're talking about another new york paper is this a are we going to get um oh no there's a there's a bugle there's a the, there's a there's a bugle uh paper in the, the oh is there there's a there's a bugle paper in this most recent trailer and it specifically has the bugle logo from raimi's spider-man movies which has a lot of people being like all right well where is this movie set exactly? Please clarify. <laughs> um, could easily just be. Listen, you know, it's not. It's not. It's not unheard of for studios to just mess with uh, you know audiences and be like, "Tee hee hee, who knows what's going on?" But you know, yeah. there could be a lot more going on here. <laughs> oh man, that would be quite the turn if this was connected to the Raimi Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, who knows? Don't who knows? know how I feel about that possibility. <laughs> Hopefully it was just like, that was the logo that they had the rights to and access to, and they didn't have to ask for Marvel's permission to use. Listen, between, between, if, if, if they do, if they do do a big multiversal crossover, oh goodness, that's, that's just going to be so much, so much, so much, so much. I'm like, honestly, I'm really just looking forward to seeing I want to see Naomi Harris, right? Like, I'm really here for Naomi Harris to shriek. I know she, like, I, I, I know that Carnage is the is supposed to be the big draw, and you know, I, I love Woody Harrelson and everything, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm here for her for the most part. Shriek for those uh, wondering what we're talking about is the girlfriend of Cletus and Carnage, who's traditionally a mutant in the comics, which is also what makes her popping up here. Like, all right, because obviously with these, like, with these kinds of IP uh, deals. The rules are, they're hammered out specifically. And it's like, all right, well, depending on what characters exist around which other characters, sometimes they pop up in other places. But in looking and like in reading about Trig, it's like, oh, she's a mutant. Oh, oh yeah. strange stuff here. I doubt that this is like, this is definitely not an X-Men thing. But it does just go to show you that like Sony is quite serious in terms of pulling in every bit of the IP that it has its fingers on, like into these films. Yeah. I also question with... uh some of these Spider-Man films and Venom, you know, being part of that world. It's like, are there other characters in this film that we don't know they're going to pull out? Um, you know, are we going to get hints of like Craven the Hunter or something? <laughs> well, I mean, like the, the one of the big reasons that there's a lot of speculation about a potential Spider-Man crossover is because there is a Spider-Man poster in the Morbius trailer. Like, right. Mor- like Morbius, the living vampire who no one ever thought was going to be in a live action movie like that movie is i don't com- think anybody needs it to be in a live action but movie. <laughs> listen presumably the thing has been made the trailers are out and at some point in that story uh that vampire man walks past a poster of spider-man that has the word murderer uh spray painted over it we don't know maybe spider-man is a video game in this world and everyone's like oh goodness he kills cops <laughs> in that game who knows but um <laughs> it does it does it does feel like sony has been winking and nodding um at the possibility of you know the webhead finally showing up and i i I, as much as that would really make a lot of people happy i am just really excited to see them finally sort of like get to this next stage of seeing what venom can do on its own 
it's exciting it's exciting uh it's it's uh it's it's nice having uh nice things to look forward to <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know um also just like new movies to look forward to after going through a, a a bit of a desert um so uh yeah i'm 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 looking forward to september i'm i'm here for uh enjoying some more questionable accents by tom hardy yeah well should we just talk a little bit about uh, some head cannons and send this off let's do it let's talk about it. I mean, I think this is an instance where we can actually get back to the roots of this segment of the show and actually just talk a little bit about our own headcanons of Venom because Venom, the character in the comics, we've only seen it portrayed a few different ways in the feature films and that kind of thing. But in the comics, it's he's 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 got a different he's got a lot of different sides to him um, depending on who he's attached to, um, depending on which era of the Eddie Brock attachment we're in. And, and I'm curious, like with your interest in venom do you actually have like a headcanon of where 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 you see venom going in 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 progressing as a character um i I, i've always been kind of interested like in venom is a character that has to have someone attached to it like it's a symbiote that requires a sub character and it's always been this like um uh, uh, attachment issues kind of character and i've always wondered if there is a version of venom where the character gets to 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 be on its own to a degree i don't know if that's a possibility but i've always been kind of curious about like what is this character without another person attached to it have you ever, you ever like been curious about that i mean the, the the symbiote the symbiote has spent time away from its hosts um and it's 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 you know it's it's a parasite it's a parasite from deep space um that you know takes over things I think, like in terms of like what my head canon is for for Venom and Eddie Brock, because I I don't think of them. Try not to contradict myself here, even though they are technically speaking, right, two beings that uh, came together through a parasitic relationship. Venom, as a concept in my mind, is a singular being. I think that as much as um, characters like like Agent Venom really sort of stick in people's minds, it's always going to be um, it's always going to be eddie and the symbiote in my mind like right. I, I don't really right. i don't really ascribe to one true pairs all that much because i don't have any emotional investment in it on my part but i do feel like in the larger you know cosmic story being told about venom it is about these two people these two beings being able to come together and come apart as a, a larger process of understanding the world around them right they are they are like a they are a love story a platonic or 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 or, or you know whatever you want to call it love story but yeah i i agree when it's it always doesn't feel it never feels right when the symbiote is, is attached to someone else is attached to someone else or is by itself and it's usually because you know the two of them are in some sort of emotional duress wildly enough like i i'm very sort of like i'm very happy with where the character is right now which is kind of in a state of flux right now it's particularly coming you know, after all of this null nonsense that we're not going to yeah, get into. Yeah, the King in Black. You know, the King in Black event, which was like, oh, but well, let's get into the deep, deep... No, here's the thing. I feel like the King in Black was very much an example of what happens when you try to get too deep into the canon. Like, all right, we need to make Venom kind its own agree. thing. And it's like, no, yeah. I don't... Like, the, the, the symbiotes can be a thing, but what about the symbiote god? I don't know. What about the symbiote god? Um, for me, like, Eddie and Venom are at their strongest or at their most interesting, rather, um, in my head, when they are at that sort of comfortable but still complicated space with one another, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's, you know, they are between a battle and they're not thinking about 
any of their uh, children, be they symbiote or human or what have you, right? And they're just sort of, you know, exhausted in thinking about what it is that they've all been through and how they're going to continue to get through it together. That sort of, I feel like there's a way in which Marvel and all the writers and artists who work for the company have become much more comfortable being explicit in showing that aspect of Eddie and Venom and not just, you know, them angrily talking to one another in their head, but really being genuinely emotive with one another and like soft. I think that like that to me is like, give me that. And by all means, as like a follow-up, I want big hulking Venom eating people and ripping them apart because that contrast, (laughs) because that contrast to me is like, oh yeah, that to me is a whole person right there. This, you know, this big monster thing that likes to you know, scare heroes also likes to curl up on the couch with its, you know, with its partner and just, you know, sort of be at peace. That that's, that's good shit. What about you? I, I really, I liked the, uh, the little conversation they have at the end of the Venom film where it's Eddie kind of laying out like, you know, what they're going to be doing. And he's like, you, he's, Eddie is aware that he has to let the symbiote, you know, act out some of its animalistic needs, like eating people. And he's like, we're only going to eat really, really bad people. And, and the symbiote's <laughs> like, well, how do we know we're the bad people? And like, Eddie's like describing to him, like how he kind of just has that inclination. I like, I like that little thing where they're finding the space that they both can work in um, and, and coexist in a way that works for both of them. It's, it's, it's cute. Yeah, it's good shit. That brings this episode of The Real Canon to a close. If you liked what you heard, and we know you did, be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss a single show. We have new episodes coming out every Tuesday. And if this episode was your first time checking us out and you want to talk more about what we covered today, you can check us out on social. We're posting extra stuff from each episode on at Real Canon Pod all the time. And most importantly, on social and either on online social or real life social, this podcast success is based upon you guys spreading the word of the real canon so hey let somebody know that you listen to the real canon and that they talk about shows like venom (laughs) all right you guys get ready get hyped and we'll be back next week with more the real canon